<laughs> Julie, uh, Julie said to me, are you sure you want to wear that blue shirt today? The air conditioning wasn't working last week. And I said, yeah, yeah. I'm sure Craig will have had it fixed. <laughs> and good morning to you all. Uh, today we kick off a, a three-weekend series looking at some parts of the life of Joseph. We, we touched very briefly on Joseph's character when we went through our Old Testament characters last summer. But there is so much to be learned from his life and indeed the ways in which God used him. And it's our hope and our prayer that as we go through these next three weeks, that you would find our our time studying his character to be both encouraging and challenging. If you have a Bible here with you this morning, then I invite you to turn with me to chapter 39 of the book of Genesis. If you are following on your phone, then as always, we read from the ESV translation. That's Genesis chapter 39. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read through to the end of the chapter. Verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there the lord was with joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his egyptian master his master saw that the lord was with him and that the lord caused all that he had that he did to succeed in his hands so joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the other men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He has came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, he lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, See, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Verse 19, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. 
and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather around it together so so freely. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, that you would challenge us through the reading of your word, that you would encourage us as we try and learn from it. And Father, that you would just be with us this morning. Father, we pray that this morning would ultimately be glorifying to you. And Father, we pray that we would leave here refined by your word, challenged by you and encouraged by you. We pray all this in your precious son's name. Amen. This passage has all the drama of a soap opera. The scene opens with Joseph having moved from his abysmal treatment at the hands of his brothers to serving as the captain of Pharaoh, sorry, to serving the captain of Pharaoh's guard. It's likely that his employer Potiphar was the head of Pharaoh's armed forces. And because Potiphar was powerful, then so Joseph, as his head of service, also had power. He was effectively the equivalent of a general manager in a medium enterprise, literally running everything off the household. And right away we see Joseph using his gifts and his power to be a blessing to those around him, even to unbelievers. In fact, at this point in time, Joseph doesn't appear to be of any benefit to God's people. His work is solely amongst those who do not acknowledge his God as God. In a way, this runs contrary to the way that we often think. There's a, there's a stream of thought in the church today that, that men and women who do great things for the kingdom must be in full employment by the church. Many of us fall into the trap of equating spiritual giants in our lives with pastors and missionaries, and we equate spiritual lessers, those who go into business, medicine, or the arts, as something else. And this stratification can make it difficult to see that God does and can use men and women in every walk of life, in medicine, law, business, and the arts. Now, I'm not saying that's how Craig makes us feel. He does nothing of the sort. But the lesson in Joseph working for the kingdom here is that all of us in our walks of life can be effective for God's glory. God uses Joseph in this way. He uses his business acumen to be a blessing to those around him. <coughs> Only later in his life will Joseph become the government leader who saves God's people through skillfully preparing for the famine. God used Joseph to be a blessing, as Joseph wielded power not for himself, but in service to those around him. This is precisely what made him great. Joseph is a testimony to God's, Jesus' words, which say, whoever would be great among you must first be a servant. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And so this morning, I want us to look at three aspects from this passage as we consider the life of Joseph during this time period. I want us to look at Joseph as one who was favoured by God. We're going to spend the majority of our time there. And then I want us to look at Joseph as a man who, through his actions, favoured God. And then thirdly, I want us to see Joseph's story as a foreshadowing of God's favour on us. Firstly then, Joseph, a man favoured by God. If you skim up and down the passage from verses 1 through 23, you will notice that the middle section of our passage is bookended by the writer telling us that God's favour rested upon Joseph. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Verse 3, and his master, that's Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. And then the chapter closes by telling us that when Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper. And that the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Joseph's began our passage in a very difficult place. If you were to flick back to chapter 37, you'll remember that Joseph was the victim of his very jealous brothers. Unhappy with with Joseph's alleged pride and their father's favoritism of Joseph, the brothers had hatched a plan to kill Joseph and dump his body in a pit. As they saw Joseph approaching them, one of his brothers thankfully intervened in the plan and managed to negotiate a stay of execution. And then as his brothers all sit having their lunch while Joseph's in the pit, another brother, Judah, spots this travelling caravan of Ishmaelite traders approaching. And he convinces the other brothers to sell Joseph on to the merchants. At this point, Joseph's been betrayed, he's been rejected, and he's been made to feel grossly unloved. He then travels in this merchant caravan, probably under chains, to Egypt, a foreign land where he is then taken to the marketplace and paraded before the Egyptian gentry and upper class to be sold on to the highest bidder as a slave. So he's been betrayed, he's been rejected, he's unloved, and now he is made to feel subhuman as someone else's property. Imagine how low one would feel in those set of circumstances. Yet in spite of all these things, we learn that the Lord was with Joseph, that the Lord's favour was upon him, and that the Lord worked to make Joseph to what this passage describes as a successful man in the house of Potiphar. And when we look more closely at the text, we can see three ways in which God's favour was upon him. He was protected. He was prospered. He was promoted. From chapter 37, we know that he was protected from almost certain death at the hands of his jealous brothers. From the beginning of chapter 39, we know that Joseph has arrived in Egypt, thus surviving the arduous journey. 
We know that he's been appointed to a high-ranking household where the master would have at least had the decency to feed him and treat him with some form of dignity. We then see him protected by being put into the prison rather than executed for his alleged crime against Potiphar's wife. And then finally we see him protected in the prison when we are told that he was so well protected that the keeper of the prison paid no attention to what he did. Joseph's been protected. He hasn't been protected from the circumstances, but he has been protected in the circumstances. And so often we as people make it a sad thing for ourselves by asking God constantly to change our circumstances or to remove our circumstances or to remove us from our circumstances. When in fact, most of the time, what God seems to do with us as his children is that he doesn't change the circumstances for us, but he changes our attitude towards the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And for example, when we start to pray for someone who is an aggravation to us, when we start to be kind to someone who's a disappointment to us, the people in those situations remain the same, but our experience around them may well change. You see, God could have done all this very differently in Joseph's life. God chose to allow these events to unfold in order, in part, I'm sure, to deal with the blemishes that were in Joseph's character. It wouldn't be good for Joseph, who had essentially 17 years of everything being well, for it just to continue like that the whole life, for his whole life. And God purposed that it would be through many dangers, toils, and snares, as the hymn writer writes, that Joseph would be exposed to these situations and these circumstances so that God would fashion him and deal with the blemishes in his character. And that's how God deals with us, to smooth out the things that are not good, to mold us, to refine us, to take away things like pride that Joseph may have had. So we find Joseph protected by God's presence. He's protected in the presence of God. He's left his earthly father back in Canaan, but his heavenly father has accompanied him all the way to Egypt. His presence with Joseph was the source of his protection. Psalm 46 and verse 1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 137, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. This is a beautiful picture. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your other hand delivers me. Now sometimes what we need to do in the midst of our days is we find ourselves disappointed and enslaved and broken and unable to deal with our circumstances. We would do well to do what uh, Alistair Begg describes as coming to the soul's medicine box. And if the Bible is to be the soul's medicine box, then one of the best potions in the box is to sit and spend time in the Psalms. And to take the Psalms and to read thereof the Psalmist's experience and realize again and again how God delivers. 
and how God is descriptive of what we long for. He is the great protector, the ever-present help in our times of trouble. The second way that we then see God's hand upon Joseph is in the fact that he was prospered. Verse 2 describes him, as we've already mentioned, as being successful. Joseph was to discover that God was caring for him. The Lord clearly could have restored him to his house. His, His father, for example, could have shown up in Egypt and cut a deal with Potiphar and bought him back. There are a number of ways that he could have been restored to his home. But the Lord chose not to do that. He had lessons for him to learn. He had discoveries for him to make. And those discoveries would only be able to be made in the circumstances that he was exposed to and not elsewhere. You see, Joseph had lost that fashionable technicolor coat in the pit, but he hadn't lost his character. And if all that he had had was his coat, then he'd been done. But his character was not inside the coat. Indeed, his character was being formed and framed in the crucible of Potiphar's control. And somewhere along the line, Joseph must have sat down and said to himself, I'm going to make the most of this dire situation. Although I'm apparently Potiphar's slave, I'm actually God's slave. And since I am God's slave serving Potiphar, I'm going to be the best slave that Potiphar has ever had in his life. He's not an ideal boss. This isn't my ideal version of employment. This is not the perfect spot. It's actually not what I was looking for or what I was planning for. But here I am and I'm going to make the most of it. And that same disciplined commitment that he attached when he went searching for his brothers during their shepherding, he now determines to apply to his role here as a slave in the realm of a pagan master. And there is a tremendous amount to be learned from that today. Notice that it's in these, this crucible of the most undesirable circumstances, not in the protesting of paganism of Egypt, not in the resenting of the mastership of Potter, not in Joseph trying to reorientate the whole culture and what he's living. None of that was open to him or potential to him. The only opportunity he had to witness and testimony, testify to God was through his work as a slave. It was to be a good slave. For that was his job. So he says, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be reliable. I'm going to be industrious. I'm going to be conscientious. I'm going to work at all of this as if I was working for the Lord. And that's exactly what Potiphar starts to see in Joseph. You will notice from our, from our passage that Joseph didn't tell Potiphar that God's blessing was on him. Rather, Potiphar saw that there was blessing on his life. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him. The favor of God rested on the shoulders of Joseph. And when God's blessing is on a life, that person doesn't necessarily need to shout about it. It will be apparent. And it will be clear sometimes even to the unbeliever those who aren't Christians, that God's favor is resting on them. And it will become so evident in that person that even in the most trying and the most desperate circumstances, that that person's desire will be to honor God in all they do. I'll give you an example from 
A few hundred years ago, back in rural England, there was a man called John Bunyan, and he was thrown into a prison cell for 12 years. And the reason he was put in jail was because he used, he, he used to refuse to preach within the established church's framework, the Church of England. He wasn't a Church of England clergyman. He hadn't come from uh, a good background. He had come from the streets. But John Bunyan knew that he had a gift for preaching and he loved to preach. And so he preached all over the place. And the, the bigwigs in the Church of England said, Bunyan, cut out the preaching or we'll throw you in jail. But Bunyan couldn't cut out the preaching. He said, I can't cut it out, I have to preach. And he preached everywhere he went. So they came to him and they chained him and they put him to jail. And in Bedford Prison, he was there for 12 years. But within a small, small matter of time, historians tell us that they heard music coming from Bunyan's cell. But Bunyan had no musical instruments. He had a couple of possessions, a bed frame and a stool. And it became apparent that he had removed one of the legs from the stool and had carved it into a flute. And when the guards came by to Bunyan's cell, rather than being miserable about his circumstances, instead of shouting expletives and being resentful and, and wallowing in self-pity, he was worshipping God. And what was the other thing he was doing? He was writing a book. One of the classics of Christian tradition, A Pilgrim's Progress. No other book has sold so well over such a long period of time. It's second only to the Bible. And it has had a tremendous impact on the lives of many. John Bunyan was prospered in the worst circumstances. And so was Joseph. Protected, prospered, thirdly, promoted. Verse 4, Joseph found favour in Potiphar's eyes. In the same way that he didn't tell Potiphar that the Lord was with him, but Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him, he didn't ask Potiphar for a promotion. Potiphar promoted him. Potiphar recognised that a man with God's blessing would be a blessing to him. And Potiphar realised that he, he had a good one. And he comes very quickly to express his confidence in the young man and puts everything into his care. The NIV says he entrusted everything to him. Everything else he let go. And he was so delighted to because the more he delegated to Joseph, the more blessing there was. Why? Because God had determined as part of his sovereign purpose that he would take this man Joseph and he would bless him. God had determined that Joseph in responding correctly to the most awful of circumstances, would be a recipient of his favour and of his blessing. And as a result of that, Potiphar's eyes would be made to see what can happen when a life is given over to God. It's a remarkable story. And it opens up this, this possibility of, of Potiphar having a conversation with Joseph where he's saying, can you please explain more to me about this God? And that's how it's supposed to work for us today. That's what it speaks about in Matthew's Gospel when it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let people around us see Jesus through our good works. 
so that they will have a reason to ask. When they don't see it, they won't ask. Let our hard work be for the Lord in all circumstances. Glorify him and be a pointer to those around us of a life that can be enjoyed in him. Secondly, Joseph, a man who favoured God through his action. Halfway through our text, we get to this intriguing story about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. It tells us that as Joseph conducted his business in the house, he had come to find a lustful admirer. This admirer wasn't just any of the household occupants, but rather a very significant person. She was Potiphar's wife. And she was encapsulated by Joseph's handsome form. And because of that, she goes about conducting herself in a way that is suggestive to Joseph. Day after day, she would make her advances on him. Suggestive comments, romantic overtures, invites to lust-filled escapism. She was tempting. And she offered the opportunity to Joseph to engage in a sin and to hide it from both her husband and his master. And it must have been extremely hard for Joseph. Here's a young man who has gone through some terrible experiences and now he has been overtly offered the opportunity to lie with a woman that was powerful, that was upper class and probably beautiful. She was, after all, married to one of the most successful men in Egypt. But Joseph makes a stand. He refuses her advances and condemns her behaviour both morally and spiritually. How can you suggest this, he says to her, when you know how good your husband has been to me, when you know how much he trusts me? How could I go about betraying his confidence? And more importantly, how could I partake in this wickedness and sin against my God? It would be an absolute affront. And it's worth noticing that Joseph categorizes how Joseph categorizes the sin here. He doesn't say that it's a sin ultimately against Potiphar, but a sin rather against God. Because Joseph recognized that the strength to overcome the sin is by looking to God himself, expressing his love of God and his desire to please and honor God. And that's the lesson on how we should defeat temptation. James says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and flee from from him. I think there's a tendency for many of us to think that the way to defeat sin, and I'm guilty of this, is to say, I'll not give in, I'll not give in, I will not give in, and I focus solely on my desire or my attempt to use my willpower alone to overcome temptation. When actually, Joseph, by naming God as the one whom he would please, is actually demonstrating that he may or may not have been tempted, the the passage doesn't say, but that the strength to do the right thing, to overcome the temptation, was found by an overarching desire of his heart to please God. The answer to our temptation then is not to love the things of this world less, but rather to love God more. And displacing the world with God means that we will ultimately love the world less. 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus, says the songwriter, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his fullness and grace. Despite this stand, Potiphar's wife still continues and eventually gets to the point where she reaches out to him and physically tries to reel him in. But Joseph demonstrates the conviction of his words and flees from her, leaving his cloak in her hand. So when it really gets to the moment of truth, when it really gets to the real test, Joseph fled from the temptation that presented itself. Joseph proved his deep-seated conviction in that he would find his worth in God and therefore favoured God above his self-gratification. The Apostle Paul alludes to this in Corinthians 6. He says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with someone out with marriage is one with that person in body? Because it is said the two will become one flesh. So flee from sexual immorality. In our oversexed culture that increasingly looks for new ways to use sex for self-gratification, there's an easy word for us here as a church. The Bible promotes a sexual ethic which is more than self-gratification. It's rather an act of giving the whole self to another in such that the two become one. Tim Keller, any time he speaks about sexual ethics from the Bible, reminds his people that if sex is had outside marriage, then what we're really saying is I want physical oneness, but not whole life oneness. I want you, but I don't want to have to entrust myself to you completely. And therefore, I don't want you completely. Now, Joseph wasn't making any marriage decisions at this point. But he did want to be faithful to God. And he recognized that sinning in this manner would ultimately displease God. And the question, and indeed the application for us here, is do we stay away from sin because we've been advised not to partake in the sin? Or do we seek not to sin because our heart yearns for the one who is greater? Is our faithfulness to God built on something legal or is our faithfulness to God a response to his grace to his protection to his prospering of us and to our promotion as his elect are we living in a manner that wants to love God more thirdly and very very briefly but perhaps most importantly This story in Joseph is a foreshadowing of God's favour to us. We find favour in God through the death and resurrection of his son, in whom we repent of our sin and take hold of the grace that is freely offered to us in Jesus. Ultimately, Joseph points to Jesus, who like Joseph was innocent, yet treated as a criminal. The text describes how Joseph was tempted but did not give in to temptation. Jesus too resisted all temptation and denied all that the devil tried to offer him. Joseph was accused unjustly by Potiphar's wife, just as Jesus was accused unjustly by Pharisees and the crowd. He was numbered among the transgressors. And Joseph was led to the depth of the prison 
only as we'll discover later, to be raised to the right hand of Pharaoh. Jesus Christ was led to the cross for the sake of our sin and to the depths of the grave. And yet God raised him from the dead and installed him at the right hand. God's favour rests on the believer. He uses trials and circumstances to test and to refine. He calls us to engage those circumstances head on and to honour him in them. He looks for us to make him the glory of our hearts. And in return, he promises us the eternal favour of life with Jesus, our Saviour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who protects and prospers and promotes a God who allows us to be exposed to circumstances, but not a God who allows us to fail. We thank you that you are our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble, Lord, and we we look to you to guide us and to mould us and to refine us. And Father, we pray that we would take our sin and that we would nail it to the cross and that we would seek you above all else. Father, that we would look to you to displace all the desires that are in our hearts, that we would be devoted solely to you, Father, we pray that you would refine us. We pray that you would give us the the strength and the endurance to do some of these things. And Lord, ultimately, that in whatever sphere of work or life we find ourselves, Father, that we would work tirelessly for you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your son, for his sacrifice, for the opportunity, ultimately, to spend eternity with you. We acknowledge that you are a good God all the time. And we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' precious son's name. Amen.